athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. Thank you for joining me on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio. I am your host, Donald Ware. A little bit after 7 in the East, 4 p.m. out west as always. Thank you for joining me on the program. We've got a lot to get to on today's program. We knew last week that North Carolina A&T was joining the Colonial Athletic Association. Well, not only is it official, but the chancellor of North Carolina A&T, Harold Martin, has spoken about the the Aggies or North Carolina A&T's move to the CAA. I want to talk a little bit more about the move and what Chancellor Martin had to say with respect. And again, when you look at it on this level, it is about academics. Athletics is a marketing arm for the university as a whole on this level. Now, when you look at where ANT is going in terms of competitiveness, I mean, now James Madison is leaving the CAA, and James Madison was one of the perennial powers in all of FCS. We definitely know that right up there with North Dakota State. But there's still some really good football. I mean, Monmouth, who's a perennial power, joins the league now. So Monmouth comes in with North Carolina A&T, with Hampton, with Stony Brook. So it's an interesting dynamic. And I think A&T has positioned itself to ultimately where it wants to be. Listen, we can talk, you can talk, there are, and if we're talking on an HBCU level, right, and, and, and remember, in football, more recently, A&T was competing on a national level. Let's not forget when A&T opened the season in 2018 with the victory over Jacksonville State in Birmingham, uh, no less. Jacksonville State, as you know, uh, upset Florida State. So let's not forget uh, that A&T has competed on that level uh, in football. Let's not forget A&T knocked off East Carolina, knocked off UNC Charlotte, knocked off uh, Kent State over the last three or four years. All of those teams were FBS powers. And when you look at A&T from a basketball perspective, uh, particularly men's basketball has been really good. Women's basketball has been really good. And let's not forget about the track program, which is world-renowned. And, by the way, I haven't looked at the track and field uh, rankings for this week or more recently, but at, le- or at least twice this year, A&T's track program ranked number one in all of Division One. So when you talk about North Carolina A&T, this is definitely a, where A&T needs to be 
in terms of FCS. You want to be at that upper echelon. And I think when you look at the CAA, it is an absolutely uh, phenomenal uh, conference with some phenomenal schools. And again, athletics is a marketing tool for the university, which is an excellent uh, research institution. It is a public school. It's the biggest uh, has the largest enrollment in terms of HBCUs uh, of any HBCU, that is. And, I mean, when you talk about smaller schools, you're talking about an enrollment of in excess of 10,000. I mean, that's that that's pretty good for a, a, a and being a, a public school. I mean, generally in public schools, you're going to have more of an enrollment because uh, within the state, you're going to have a lot of, uh, students that are within the state because the tuition is obviously going to be much cheaper opposed to a private school. Uh, well, you're going to have obviously you have some private schools that uh, have large enrollments, but I'm just saying from a state perspective. And by the way, you look at the CAA, a lot of the schools are uh, are uh, public institutions. So we can talk more uh, about that and will, as a matter of fact, today on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. We look at college basketball. The season is beginning to wind down and Alcorn State has positioned itself to be amongst the leaders in the SWAC. Only really percentage points out of first place as things currently stand in the SWAC. Now, for the Braves, and this is a, a vast turnaround because when you think about Alcorn State, you don't necessarily think about basketball. You think more about football. But Landon Bussey, the head coach, has done a really good job there at Alcorn State. And, again, percentage points out of first place. Now, a couple of tough games. You look at the game tomorrow on the road at Prairie View A&M. You look at the game Monday on the road at Texas Southern. And when you look at Texas Southern, Texas Southern is at the top of the SWAC uh, right now. Uh, an 11 and four record. You look at Southern, uh, who is 10 and four, and then you look at Allcorn State, who is also 10 and four. So as I mentioned, Allcorn State percentage percentage points out from the top spot in the SWAC can take a, a big step forward on Saturday against Prairie View A&M and take a gigantic step forward against Texas Southern on Monday with Alcorn State's remaining two games at home in looking to secure that SWAC regular season championship. That would be a big-time move for the Alcorn State basketball program. Again, Landon Bussey, the head men's basketball coach at Alcorn State, going to join us on the program. You can participate here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM by hitting us up. Via Twitter at Box to Row, B O X T O R O W. Follow us while you're there. You can also hit me up on my personal Twitter account at DWare1, at DWare1. I'm going to talk more about ANT in the next segment. One of the things, and again, as I talked about last week, we're seeing the effects of a Texas, of an Oklahoma making the move from the Big 12 to the SEC. It is a trickle-down uh, uh, effect, and we're seeing it trickle down. Uh, it's just a change in the landscape 
of college athletics. And so you, you see Hampton making the move to the CAA. You see uh, North Carolina A&T making the move to the CAA, right? So I thought an interesting move that happened this week, and you re- remember when Hampton initially made its move to the CAA a couple of weeks ago, one of the questions and one of, and one of the topics of conversations uh, that I posed was, Okay, what's going to happen in North Carolina A&T now? Not because Hampton left, but because there's only five Big South schools, only five Big South football playing institutions. I talked about the fact that perhaps the Big South and the MEAC would uh, come together, at least on the football side, and talk about some kind of partnership. Uh, Because what the NCAA does allow for is okay if five teams is not going to qualify going to give you an automatic qualifier for the FCS playoffs right so but what the NCAA does allow is a, a couple of year window to try to allow for the conference to be able to get the right amount of schools that it needs to have the AQ right so i i said well you know and 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 really it's not like the MEAC needs the automatic qualifier. As a matter of fact, the MEAC doesn't even use its automatic qualifier uh, for football at all. It doesn't, doesn't use its automatic qualifier. Um, and so it, it, it's, not, it's not like that big a deal, but I did suggest that maybe the MEAC and the Big South would ultimately kind of come together, at least on a, a, a partnership from a football uh, standpoint. And I think a partnership, even if you don't have the AQ, is just a good idea uh, in a lot of respects. Now, you could also look at it conversely and say, well, it allows for more opportunities for guaranteed games because now you have an opportunity in an an 11-game season. You have the opportunity. You're only going to play five conference games. That gives you an opportunity for six out-of-conference games. So you can schedule a couple of FBS opponents, which are guaranteed games. Uh, You can also bring in uh, a couple of uh, lower division opponents as well, so you can, you know, make money at home games and you and the payout to generally like a division two team, the payout is 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 not that much at all. Even though you're not, you know, you're not on the level of an FBS school that's making, you know, millions of dollars and can afford to pay three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollar guarantees. But still, uh, it's an opportunity. Uh, for home game to make money off of your, you know, parking and concessions, tickets, all, uh, paraphernalia, all of those uh, great things. But so instead of the MEAC perhaps joining forces with the with the Big South, the OVC and the Big South have joined forces on uh, a, a football playing partnership. Uh, so now you're talking about having that automatic qualifier because the Big South was in trouble. Uh, and so was the OBC, quite frankly, with only five schools now. But what did happen was Lindenwood University was announced as a new member of the OBC and will begin playing for the 2022 season. So I think, you know, at least the OBC was on pretty good, was on decent uh, footing. And, of course, Tennessee State is part of the OVC, but now you have the football playing uh, partnership between the two leagues, which 
which ultimately will develop into partnerships across all athletics. But I thought that maybe the MEAC would make this move. And again, you don't have the automatic qualifier right now. And that's because you play, the MEAC plays in the Celebration Bowl, so it forgoes its automatic qualifier and plays the champion of the SWAC in the Celebration Bowl. Now, I mean, that seems to be on good footing right now. I think this was probably one of the better years. It was the best year in terms of attendance, no question about it, in terms of all of the uh, all of the publicity uh, around the game. And so this looks like the Celebration Bowl, the partnership between the MEAC and the SWAC, looks like it's going to be something that will last for a long time. But let's say it doesn't. Let's say it doesn't last. Then – you know, let's say there had been some some scuttlebutt, perhaps about Howard leaving, uh, also leaving the MEAC to join the Big South. I just I just don't see uh, that happening. I think Howard's a good fit from an academic standpoint, uh, certainly for a uh, for a move to the CAA. But uh, Howard is more invested in its acad- academics, and all schools are. But I mean, it's really heavily like Howard is all about its academics more so then it's athletics. And so I just don't see a move like that happening. Plus, I think there would be tremendous backlash uh, from uh, alumni at Howard if Howard were to make that move. So, I mean, I guess it's not as pressing for the MEAC, but, but man, it, it, you know, I, I, again, you're, you're, you're counting on a partnership with the SWAC in the Celebration Bowl. What if that partnership goes away and then you're down to the five uh, the five schools, uh, and I know the MEAC was actively trying to recruit schools to come into the conference, and that ultimately has not happened to this point. So it's just a trickle-down uh, effect within college athletics, but I thought that was an interesting dynamic between the OVC and the Big South partnering uh, on football. Still to come here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Landon Bussey's the head men's basketball coach of Alcorn State, going to join us on the program. Up next, going to talk further about North Carolina A&T's move to the CAA or the Colonial Athletic Association. You can join us on the conversation. Hit us up on Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. On the way, it's more of From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Right, 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 right here, right here on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Hello, my name is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timberlake Roll, founder of Marjorie's Beef Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving two million dollars away to the bottom of 400 of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll. So come place an order at Marjorie's Beef Jerky. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale 
and a Harlem Renaissance with beer. The Neighborhood Original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. For more information, log on to their website at harlembeernc.com. Delaware on ESPNU Radio, right here on Sirius XM. Back here on Box Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Still to come, Alcorn State head men's basketball coach Landon Bussey going to join us on the program. In the last segment, talking about North Carolina A&T's move to the CAA just a bit, but also the partnership now in football between the Ohio Valley Conference and the Big South and ultimately where the MEAC is. Uh, again, no automatic qualifier for the MEAC in football. Six football-playing institutions um, and eight institutions overall that are competing, and we saw uh, what the MEAC in terms of football looked like this year. I thought it was very solid. South Carolina State obviously capping off the season with the victory over heavily favored Jackson State in the Celebration Bowl was a big win, not only for South Carolina State, I think, but for the MEAC as well. But still, and and who knows? I mean, I I would like to see um, the MEAC add, add schools, which I think it's trying to do, or some kind of partnership. And ultimately, uh, the Big South and the OVC ultimately got together. And uh, But again, uh, again, remembering that at least as we currently sit, the MEAC does not have an automatic qualifier for football. So, I mean, it, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, like, it doesn't really hurt the MEAC from a FCS standpoint uh, at all, uh, at least where we currently sit. So North Carolina A&T and its move to the CAA from the Big South. So it's it, I re, I was matter of fact at the press conference in um, I think it was February of 2020 when A&T made the announcement that it was going going to move to the Big South, and now for not not for the 2021 season. But the 21-22 season, ultimately the 2020 season, uh, was canceled in terms of football. So A&T didn't get its last opportunity to play in the MEAC. And, I mean, when you talk about – I mean, there was some really some backlash against A&T, quite frankly, uh, not only from some of the alumni. I think if you look at the alumni, it was probably about 50-50 in terms of those in favor and those against, but also across – the landscape of HBCU, uh, I, I heard from a lot of people that just weren't happy with A&T making the move from a traditionally black conference to a white co- or a conference made up of PWCs or predominantly white colleges or PWIs, predominantly white institutions. A lot of backlash for A&T. I always looked at it as, uh, yeah, there was tradition. Certainly, uh, you were, if you're A&T, you were a founding member of the MEAC. But in terms of the progression, like where, especially at the time, where was the MEAC? And again, it's all about, it's less about the athletics and more about the academics and the marketing of a university as a whole. So I couldn't really fault 
uh, the the A&T at all. Uh, you look at A&T and its dominance in football, not only just in the MEAC. And, 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 I mean, we can say, and I can sit here and say, well, A&T dominated the MEAC. I, I don't know if that's – I mean, I guess – I guess A&T in essence did, but there were a lot of years, the latter part of the 2010s, where there were shared conference championships. Uh, in 2015, A&T shared a conference championship. 2014, A&T shared a conference championship with four other schools. Okay, 2017, <coughs> excuse me, A&T, uh, th- th- A&T won it outright in 17 um share uh, i think it i think ant won it outright in 18 and then shared the conference championship in 19 with south carolina state but in terms of the landscape of fcs is one of the top programs in all of fcs from a football standpoint some of the other sports came up men's basketball women's basketball continued to play well um and then now and now we see where track and field uh, ultimately is right now but from a football playing standpoint it looked like a really good move because you look at a Monmouth perennial power you look at a Kennesaw State perennial power so now you're playing against teams uh, that are perennial powers in the FCS ultimately didn't happen because A&T did not play football in 2020 okay uh struggled this past season with a five and six record okay but to me in terms of making this move to the CAA from the Big South, one AT really didn't have a choice with only five football playing institutions. Okay. Two, I think when you're talking about AT and being one of the, 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 not only the largest HBCU, but in terms of a mix and a balance between academics and athletics. You know, I can look at a Jackson State, and right now Jackson State is on fire mostly because of Deion Sanders and in terms of revenue generation. I mean, I don't know that there's any uh, any HBCU generating more revenue and certainly more talked about, um, uh, particularly in football, uh, than Jackson State, and that's because of Deion Sanders. But if you look at some of the other sports, I mean, men's basketball is okay. Women's basketball is really, really good. Um and, and I'm not really sure about some of the other sports with respect to track and field uh, and, and so forth. I mean, you can look at one of the bigger schools like a Texas Southern. Texas Southern, really good men's basketball program, football program right now, eh, not so much, you know, but has really good academics as well, has a law school, uh, as a matter of fact. You know, you can look at your, I mentioned Howard a little bit earlier, more about the academics than the athletics, right? So there's not, in my opinion, not necessarily a great balance between the two there. Uh, So I just think about something, you know, you look at a Hampton, right? Hampton, great academics, competing in men's basketball, pretty, pretty, has been pretty solid uh, in terms of men's basketball. Uh, You know, football, I mean, had a decent season this past year. It's last, of course, as we know now in the Big South, one of a better season, still was a five and six season, uh, for Hampton. So I'm just thinking about a lot of these schools um, in the balance. And I think when you look at A&T, the balance between athletics, because it is uh, it, it is a renowned school within the state of 
of North Carolina when you're talking about engineering, when you're talking about research, and not just within the state of North Carolina, which, by the way, uh, a couple of things. One, uh, UNC is the oldest public, meaning North Carolina at Chapel Hill, is the oldest public institution in the country, number one. Number two, the UNC system, which is comprised of 17 schools, 16 of those are colleges or universities, um, or, or, or well, they're all universities, actually, uh, technically, um, is one of the best, if not the best, uh, in, the, in the country in terms of the system. In terms of the system, it is known as one of the best, if not the best, in the country. So A&T is, is going to be uh, known uh, more from a national uh, perspective. I just think that when you take everything into consideration, and I know some of the A&T alum not going to be happy about this particular move because you say, well, you just moved to the Big South. Now we're moving to the CAA. We, some are going to say we should have never left the MEAC. But this was really the only move, and I think this was a move that was probably coming uh, some time ago in terms of moving to the CAA because now you're talking about one of the better conferences in terms of football in all of the country. I thought uh, Chancellor Harold Martin, who's, of course, the chancellor of North Carolina A&T, had some, some, some interesting things uh, to say in a, an article uh, or a Q&A, really, on Greensboro.com, which is the Greensboro News and Record, the newspaper uh, there in Greensboro. He talked about uh, the, the, one of the questions that was asked was, what was the budget going to be now? He said he didn't want to place a number on the budget, but he said, you know, listen, we've got to be at a budget of at least $25 million. And A&T was somewhere around $15 million in terms of an operating budget for the 2019-2020 season. Hard to kind of, you know, talk about 2021 because of COVID, but 19 and 20. I mean, so that's a $10 million jump in terms of an operating budget to be able to compete in the CAA. And think about it. A&T was, was competing at a national level, specifically in football and track and field, operating on a $15 million budget. I mean, generally speaking, you know, you need a $15 million budget just to operate football if you want to be competitive and you could maybe track and field at the FCS level, let alone the other however many sports that A&T has. He says that A&T would look to expand in sports such as soccer. He also talked about upgrades to facilities. So A&T just purchased War Memorial Stadium, which was the, uh, at, when it opened, was like, and at one time for many years, was the single A affiliate. The Greensboro Bats were the single A affiliate of the Yankees. And it's been a partnership between War Memorial and the city of Greensboro and A&T for many, many years. As a matter of fact, before Aggie, then Aggie Stadium opened in 1981, War Memorial is where A&T played its football games uh, and then ultimately has played its, its, its baseball games at War Memorial Stadium. So A&T purchased that uh, property, that, that stadium, uh, about a month ago. Okay, so he talked about even making upgrades to that facility, which is definitely an older facility. He talked about making uh, upgrades to Truist Stadium, which is the football uh, uh, stadium for A&T. 
which is a solid stadium in terms of enclosing the 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 uh, horseshoe. Um, and I mean, you know, the the support at A&T is really really good. He also talked about possibly another on-campus basketball facility outside of what A&T has right now which the name of that facility is Corbett Sports Center, which is really a nice facility. It's an older facility, but it's a nice facility. It seats uh, like almost 7,000 people. So it's, not, you know, it's, you know, for, for an FC or mid-major D1 program, like that's, that's, that's not, that's not bad, you know? So it's going to take some money. It's going to take some support. A&T cannot use any state funds to, to make this move. Although you got to think, because, again, this move to the CAA is an academic move as well to, uh, to market the university. I mean, there are probably some ways where you can use some funds to be able to do that as well. But mostly it's going to fall on the foundations of the the athletic foundations of the university and the alumni, which I think definitely will support. And I think in, you know, th- maybe yeah, two or three years, A&T is uh, in, or less. Uh, really, we already know it's going to compete in in track and field. You know, football, we'll see. Men's basketball, we'll see. But we know in track and field, A&T is definitely going to compete almost uh, it, really immediately because now you know the scholarships are going to go up in track and field. So now some of those events uh, that uh, maybe you don't participate or not as strong in, you're going to be able to get premier athletes. And again, A&T at least twice this year has been ranked number one in all of Division One in track and field. Up next here on the program, All Corn State head men's basketball coach Landon Bussey. Now, back to From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Donald Ware. Donald Ware. Let's keep things going here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. We're joined by a gentleman in his second season as the head men's basketball coach at Alcorn State. The Braves currently percentage points out of first place in the SWAC with about four games remaining. It starts on Saturday at Prairie View A&M, Landon Bussey in his second season as the head coach at, of course, Alcorn State joins us here on Box to Row. Coach Bussey, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Your thoughts on the season. I mean, you guys are right there. And, I mean, really, when you look at the, the three teams in Southern, you look at Texas Southern, and then, of course, you, Alcorn State, each team has four losses. Your thoughts on where your team currently stands? Um, I think that right now, we, like I said, we, we, we have done a good job in conference so far. Um, you know, we're right there at the top of the conference with Texas Southern and Southern. So I'm just proud about that. You know, we're able to, you know, be up those, be up there at the top of the standing with those two competitive teams. Um, and I think that, you know, we just got business to take care of these next four games. And if we could do that, um, we could do something very special at Alcorn. No question, it, it it goes and it really begins on Saturday at Prairie View A&M. The win last Saturday over Jackson State. Speak to that win, of course. Anytime Alcorn State and Jackson State get together any, in anything, you know it's going to be a great game, and the outcome was a positive one for you winning by one point. Absolutely. Um, Jackson State 
um, is a well-coached team who's tough, defend, um, really put pressure on you to score the ball. Um, so we know leading up to that rivalry game was going to be a tough game. Um, they was they was coming off a few few good victories, um, and they was you know they was probably one of the hottest team in the swag at the time. Uh, we just wanted to go in and protect the home court and try to continue to keep pace at the top of the conference. Um, but you know they, they, that's a tough nosed team, well coached team, and we was happy to get out of there with the victory. Yeah, take us through that, and and ultimately what happened. I mean, obviously I didn't have a chance to see the game, but that's a you know a close game, one that came uh, down to the wire. Yeah, I came down to why we was actually down three with 30 seconds to go. Um, and we drove the ball up, tried to get a quick layup, got a layup. Um, and so then, you know, we fouled right after that. Um, and their guy, their, one of their players go to the line, unfortunately, missed both free throws. Um, then we come down and shoot a shot, miss a shot. Um, Darius Agnew gets the rebound um, and gets fouled with one second to go, step to the line and make both free throws to seal the game. Um, so, you know, it just came down to free throws and rebounding. Yeah, and you ultimately were able to pull it out. Speak to the early conference schedule. It's definitely a tough schedule uh, for you, no question about it. Uh, the one victory you had that was non-conference, at least, uh, was against Milwaukee. But, I mean, you played a very tough schedule to prepare you for SWAC play, and it is ultimately – Looks like it's ultimately worked out. You're you have a share of first place right now. Absolutely. I mean, when you go up against Gonzaga, who's number one in the nation right now, and played against Baylor, who was number one, number one in the nation at some point, and University of Houston, you know, all three of those teams were in the Final Four uh, last year. I mean, you know, you got you got a pretty good schedule, pretty tough schedule to help you prepare for conference, going on the road, having success. Um, and that, that's what we played these games for non-conference for this weekend, to go down to a tough Prairie View and a tough Texas Southern um, on the road to try to have some success. Being that, you know, we had 13 road games non-conference, Oklahoma, Tulsa, Wichita State, Tulane, um, Seattle, and you know, all those are tough environments to play in. And I think that, you know, without non-conference, it's going to prepare us for this weekend. How do you keep your guys together? Like, I realize it's – most of these games are, are money games. You're going to get a guarantee. But, I mean, those are not only are they tough games to the point playing against the likes of Houston, uh, Baylor, et cetera, but they, the, you're, you're losing these games. So how do, you, how do you keep your guys focused, keep them together, and keep their mind and their eyes on the prize, which is ultimately to win a SWAC championship? Talk to them every day just about not splintering, um, stick together. Continue to be good teammates, and everything else will take care of itself. Continue to come every day and practice and give it everything you got, bring intensity, effort, and toughness. But don't break. Don't splinter. Stick together. Stick together. We talked about it all year. Um, I talk to them all the time. Don't break. Stick together. Don't splinter. You know, I've been in the SWAT now for probably about eight years. Um, I did six years at Prairie View, two years here, I think. Um, for about eight years. So, you know, and I'm kind of. Um, known to how to you know how to handle your team the, uh, in the SWAC as far as the non-conference games, how to prepare for it, um, what what can break down your team, and I just try to you know use my experience of being in the SWAC and just trying to get, keep these guys mentally focused and you know not to break down. That the voice of Landon Bussey in his second season as the head men's basketball coach at Alcorn State. 
He joins us here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. It, it's where you are right now. I mean, it, it's really saying something because this was a team that finished six and seven in conference play last year, six and thirteen overall. I thought it was interesting as I sort of looked through the schedule and results. You had the six wins. You had two separate three-game winning streaks, which constituted the entire six wins. So what? why the turnaround? How did you get to the point that you are now considering you had a bit of a rough season uh, last year? Uh, well, you know, last year, you know, coming in, it was a cold year. It was pretty tough on us, um, which was every team. But, you know, we had a lot of stops and starts. Um, and, you know, coming in, didn't really have a chance to, you know, really get the identity as far as recruiting of how I wanted to, um, being that, you know, we weren't able to go out to recruit much. And then I got there pretty late. Um, and so, you know, I, I was just, you know, pretty much just trying to coach as hard as I can um, and get my guys through the finish line and um, and just keep on battling. And then that following year, I said I was going to do a completely um, change in this recruiting and try to get some of my type of guys in the door who I believe that can help me um, be successful here. Um, and that was just my main focus is, is to recruit, to recruit, um, to try to retain some of the guys who I believe that was, you know, headed in the right direction for this program, um, in which we was able to do that. Um, brought a few guys back who I really, you know, had confidence in and depended on a lot, and they're having success now this year. And to add, you know, uh, some different pieces who I believe they have success in the swag. So l- let's talk a little personnel. T- tell me who are some of the guys – that are really stepping up for you, particularly down the stretch? Right now, I mean, like, you know, I got eight or nine guys who really could get the job done. I, I have nobody who averaged in double figures. So it's kind of it's kind of good for us because I know it's pretty tough as far as scouting us. And, and, and when, when you got to scout us and, you know, really dissect the guy who can take over the game. At any point, anybody can take over the game. But right now, um, a kid by the name of Darius Agnew um, transferred from Southeast Missouri. He's done an unbelievable job. Um, just you know, He's a traditional back-to-the-basket guy. He can score with his back-to-the-basket. Um, tough and can rebound. And another guy is Justin Thomas, um, who's a senior as well. Um, you know, he's our point guard who leads our team in minutes. Um, you know, average about nine points a game. Um, you know, gets his other teammates involved. Another guy would be uh, DJ Bruton, who's a guy um, you know, we have probably about nine points as well. We can score the ball at a very high level. So and we have a variety of different guys. Um, you know, we have probably about six or seven guys that's average between nine and eight points. Um, and those guys are, you know, just sticking together, um, being selfless, sharing the ball, and sacrificing, you know, their stats for the team. So, again, on tomorrow, you're going to be on the road taking on Prairie View A&M. Of course, this is a tough stretch because Prairie View A&M been a, is a perennial power, although maybe not at the top currently. Look at Texas Southern perennial power. That's the game on Monday, and they're generally near the top as Texas Southern is right now. But focusing on tomorrow's game, and you did you know, have the loss against Prairie View A&M earlier in the season by one point. What is it going to take to beat the Panthers this time around, and what are – some of the concerns you have about that Panther basketball team? Um, just really concerned so much because, you know, that's, that's a program who um, won three regular season championships in a row. 
um, well-oiled machine, well-coached team. You know, prior to me coming here, I was at Prairie View for six years, um, who helped win some of them championships. So, it's, you know, it's pretty much like a homecoming for me. Um, you know, I got I want to go ahead and have some success. Um, you know, they got guys who can shoot the ball at a very high level. I know everything they want to do offensively. I know everything, they, you know, what they want to do defensively. And they, and they, they know everything we want to do. Um, um, just by, you know, me being under Coach Smith for six years, um, you know, our practice and our our style of basketball is pretty similar. So I think the most prepared, most disciplined team will go in there and win the game. Yeah, no question. Very integral part of that success at Prairie View A&M. Lastly, uh, you, you, you got your start really at Livingstone as a player and then ultimately went to Xavier of Louisiana where you finished out your playing career and then became – also an assistant coach, and that was a very, very uh, a good program that you were a part of. Sort of speak to that in those early coaching years and how those uh, those coaching experiences helped you to where you are now as the head coach at Alcorn. It helped me a lot just, you know, just, you know, being at HBCU, starting off with, you know, Coach James Stenson over at Livingstone College. He did an unbelievable job of just, helped me develop as a young man. Um, and, like, right now they're doing a great job in, this, in the CIAA tournament. Right now they're in the semifinals looking to try to, you know, win the CIAA tournament. And then, you know, I transferred over to Xavier University of Louisiana uh, where Coach Dan Jackson taught me a lot just about the game of basketball, the X's and O's piece, and just, you know, how to be disciplined and things like that. And I think but both both coaches really helped me grow into this position um, to help me have some success right now. Um, and even the prior coaches I had working in, when I was an assistant at Prairie View, um, those coaches helped me so much. So I'm just grateful for the opportunity. Landon Bussey in his second season as the head men's basketball coach at Alcorn State joins us here on Pox to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. The Braves on the road on tomorrow taking on Prairie View A&M. Coach Bussey, great to catch up with you. Continued success to you and the Braves. Absolutely. I really appreciate you having me. What a turnaround for the Alcorn State Braves and head coach Landon Bussey from a couple of years ago. Just six wins on the season, as and as I mentioned, two different times winning three games in a row. You heard him say, retooled, kept some guys. Some guys obviously didn't stay. Uh, he had a kid uh, by the last name of Crosby who was unbelievable, played in 15 game, a, games last year, averaged almost 20 points a game he exhausted his eligibility and has moved on obviously but to retool that team I you know I can't remember the last time Alcorn State was at the top of the swag and the Braves are and really control their own destiny when you think about it it begins tomorrow with Prairie View A&M a program that Landon Bussey knows extremely well, right? Only lost by one point at home the last time the two teams met. It's going to make some adjustments, and we'll see ultimately what happens. Um, I'm, I'm not saying it's not a typical Prairie View A&M team, and, and you know, it could have been anything. Could have, as Prairie View A&M hit its stretch early on and maybe not won as many games as it had in the past, could have been anything. Could have been COVID-related with players not playing early on. You just never know. It looks like Prairie View A&M is playing some pretty good basketball right now, though, but had a lot of ground to make up while Southern, Texas Southern, and Alcorn State continued to play extremely well. So 
Then you've got Texas Southern on Monday, who is number one really by percentage points with one more win, right? This is a prime opportunity. And then not only that, you look at Alcorn State's last two games are at home. So this is an opportunity for Alcorn State to perhaps take the swack and the Braves have the destiny of this year's SWAC championship, if it will be the Alcorn State Braves, in their own hands. We've got more Box to Row on the other side. Hello, my name is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timlake-Roll, founder of Marjorie's Beef Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving $2 million away to the bottom of 400 of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll. So come place an order at It's Donald Ware, from the press box to press row. For those that don't know, it's been a little while now since Grambling hired Hugh Jackson as its head football coach. And of course, uh, a lot was made a couple of weeks ago going back to the whole Brian Flores situation and the way that uh, Hugh Jackson um, felt like he was also treated in Cleveland, some remarks that he ultimately uh, clarified in relating them to Brian Flores's situation. Well, and and before he was the head football coach at Grambling, meaning Hugh Jackson, he was the offensive coordinator at Tennessee State on last year. So now Hugh Jackson has gone out and hired Art Bryles as his offensive coordinator at Grambling. Now, when I saw this come across, when I first saw this and I heard about this, I, I, I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting to really say the least because that when Art Bryles was the head football coach at, at, uh, at Baylor and he had done a, you know, he'd done a good job in terms of on the field and where Baylor was, but, man, all of those allegations that came out um, about uh, some of his players and the way they were be- behaving, um, sexual harassment, sexual ha- assault. And, I mean, it was it was pretty bad from what I remember. Now, I, I didn't remember it fully, and I had to go back and sort of read some of what had happened um, at the time, right? It was pretty bad. Now, ultimately, Bryles was absolved of any wrongdoing directly. But within the report that was put out, I mean, the report in essence said he did nothing. Even when these claims came to him, he did absolutely nothing about them. He didn't report them. He didn't do anything about them. And this, as a matter of fact, is his first head coaching hiring uh, since being fired at Baylor. He worked at a high school uh, for a high school football program uh, from 2019, uh, 2019 and 2020, which I find in of itself interesting. Listen, I think 
like I believe in second chances, and I believe people deserve second chances. But this is a little bit different. This is a little bit different uh, to me, right? Like Hugh Jackson is getting a second chance at being a head football coach, whether it's in college, whether it's, you know, wherever in the National Football League. He's getting a second chance to be a head football coach. But this is much different. This is a much different second chance than what ultimately Bryles is getting. Now, you can look at it from a number of different ways. I mean, obviously, Jackson feels like this is the guy that can really accomplish what ultimately he is trying to get accomplished with this Grambling program, right? And the other thing is he's not in a position of leadership per se, meaning Art Bryles. He's not the head coach. He's not, you know, he he's an offensive coordinator. I mean, I guess that is a, a position of leadership when you think about, okay, who's under him, running backs, coach, you know, quarterbacks, coach, et cetera. But in terms of the ultimate say with the Grambling program, that falls on Hugh Jackson. But I'm going to tell you, I mean, first of all, Grambling becomes the first college program to hire Art Bryles since he was fired by Baylor. That's first and foremost. And I'm and I got to be honest with you, when I saw this come across the screen, I'm like, "Really?" And again, just in that moment when I saw that come across the screen, my first recollection was I didn't remember all the intimate details of exactly what happened with Bryles during that time in the in the investigation. But I just remember it being like a really big deal because the Baylor program was in shambles after that until ultimately Matt Rule came in and, you know, did what he did uh, to to bring the Baylor program back to prominence. And so I I, I mean, I you know, if I'm honest and I, got, I do find it a little bit puzzling uh, again, I would say that Bryles is not in a position, a leadership position. So, you know, maybe maybe if you're grambling, you can justify it that way. Um, you're looking to win. You're bringing another name in. I don't know, but I'll tell you one person that isn't happy. I'm going to tell you one person that isn't happy with this hire, and that is Doug Williams. Okay, Doug Williams, of course, former grambling star, went on to have a good career in the National Football League. We remember him being the first black coach to win a Super Bowl with the then Washington Redskins, right? Uh, but now Doug Williams was good before that and pretty pretty darn good with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, leading the Buccaneers who were, were a newer and abysmal franchise when it first came around to some playoff appearances, right? So – He's not happening. Of course, he's that former head football coach at Grambling two times. And, hey, Doug Williams, you rem- if you all remember, let me take you back to 2013 when Grambling was uh, – Doug Williams was the head coach. He had just come off – th- I think it was the 2011 season when he had come off the SWAC championship. And then things weren't going so well. I believe it was two games into the season. He was ultimately fired. And then the coaches – the uh, players rebelled and ultimately boycotted, right? And it was a big deal. It was a national story 
Um, you know, I thought it'd be, I didn't think Doug Williams deserved to lose his job at the time. It's Doug Williams. First of all, it's Doug Williams, and you were only um, not even two years removed from winning a SWAC championship. So, you know, I, I think back to that, and it's a different administration, right? But, and I think back to that, you know, that, that whole scenario, and then you look at this, it's kind of puzzling, right? I mean, Grambling has to do what Grambling feels like it has to do. But Doug Williams was quoted. He says, I don't know Art Bryles. I never met him in my life. But the situation, nobody else would hire him for whatever reason. I don't know why Grambling State had to go be the one to hire him. So I'm not a fan at all. And he was asked, this was a Washington Post report, whether he would support the Grambling football team. He said, oh, no, I can't do that. No, no, no. If I support them, I condone it. So now you have probably the biggest alum at Grambling, right, that's not on board with this hiring. So you're at odds, and it's not like Doug Williams hasn't been at odds with Grambling before. He's been at odds with Grambling before. They fired him ultimately back in 2013. But it's it's interesting. You know, you have to ask yourself, is it ultimately, if you're Grambling, is it ultimately worth, is this hire worth it? Yeah, we can win an HBCU national championship when you're not you're not winning a national, I mean, meaning, a, you know, a, an overall national championship. You know, I know everybody's trying to compete with Jackson State and what Deion Sanders is doing and all of that, but I don't know. That that I listen. That was uh, that was an interesting one for me to say the least. I got to run. Thank you to Landon Bussey for joining us today on the program. For more information on Box to Row, log on to our website, BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support. Yo, Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM is produced by DW Communications.